Hey and welcome back to another episode of Disrupting Asia. I'm Kian, your host here at Disrupting Asia and currently based out of Chiang Mai in beautiful Thailand. Disrupting Asia is a platform that helps to connect entrepreneurs like you here in Asia. Our aim is to build communities around the continent and to become the number one source for reliable news and information around Asia startups. Every week we will feature talented entrepreneurs here from Asia who build and grow successful businesses. We will also talk about essential skills, tools and systems that will make not only a business but also you personally more successful. So if you're new here, consider subscribing. In this week's episode, I'm talking with Walter Lee, an extraordinary entrepreneur, restaurateur, author, philanthropist and TEDx speaker from Malaysia who is mainly based in Thailand since 1989. He's the founder of Zai Movement Foundation, which helps children with movement disabilities. We're talking about his foundation, which was inspired by his son Zai, who was born only with one complete left arm and two dislocated hips. After doctors in multiple countries said he will never properly walk again, Walter and Zai eventually found a multidisciplinary approach at the Heidelberg University Hospital in Germany. Figuring that roughly 10 million kids in Asia suffer from movement disabilities, Walter brought the knowledge and treatments with the help of his German friends and counterparts to Asia. Hey everyone and welcome. My guest on today's episode is Walter Lee, a serial entrepreneur. Welcome. How are you? Hi, Kian. You're doing well? Welcome. Doing well. Bangkok is raining, but otherwise uh, is good for the plants. So yes. we're happy. Same here in Chiang Mai. It was just raining. Actually, it just stopped like 15, 20 minutes back here. Uh, it's refreshing, honestly. It's refreshing. I like the rain. I like to go out. I like running. Uh, it's, it's really awesome. I stumbled across your profile here on TEDx Chiang Mai and just to give also the listeners a little bit of, of a background about yourself. So you're an entrepreneur, restaurateur, author, and you're currently a social worker. You started your first business in 1994 called Venture Tech and now you're also running Exquisine Thai. You start in TV cooking programs. You do a lot of things. So you're an entrepreneur through and through. And most of all, you're the founder of Zai Movement. Do I pronounce that right? Zai Movement Foundation? That's right. Zai okay. Movement Foundation. Okay. Fantastic. So I've read a lot of things about you. Uh, let's start about you as a person first. So where are you from? Where did you grow up? When did you start to become an entrepreneur? When did you realize that I'm an entrepreneur, I have to create things, I have to make things happen? So what's your background? How did you, how did you start? I was born in Penang, Malaysia. After high school, I just took off and I lived in Korea, States, Japan, Taiwan, and I came here in, came to Thailand in 1989. Wow. And you haven't left since then? I haven't been back since then. I haven't been back to my hometown. But I, I go back every weekend now because um, my family is there. I was a very active Boy Scout. Okay. Interesting. So yeah. I, I've always been... Uh, the trouble bug has, has, has bitten me since I was a little kid. And I've always vowed to see the world. Totally understand. And, yeah. And I suppose it's a little bit like both of us are, are guests of this country. Um, Thailand got me. Um, I think... Very few countries in the world could match Thailand in, in terms of um, how prosperous this land is. Incredible culture, people, incredible food, and I'm a food person, so, so yes. <laughs> I totally understand where you're coming from because I've been living here in Thailand since 2014. You are a restaurateur. I have a hotel background. This is actually what I studied back in Germany. So I started like hotel and tourism. And back in 2009, I set off. I worked in the Maldives, in Dubai. 
Uh, I lived in Bali for some time. My, my wife is from Indonesia and yeah, and now Thailand. And I think like pretty much the same as you just said, like the country got you. We love Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai is a great town, great city to live. And definitely is. So when did you start with the Zai Movement Foundation? So you were already having some businesses, right? And you started Zai Movement when? Zai Movement was officially founded in 2010. Okay. Zai, my son that was born with only one complete left arm, came to us in year 2006. So in a, okay. it's, a, it's a complete shock. One complete left arm, no right arm at all, no right leg at all, half a left leg, two dislocated hips. Nobody thought that this kid would ever stand and walk. Mm -hmm. I couldn't bear the thought of him being in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. So I wanted him to, to have a choice of standing and talking at eye level. I didn't believe in that. So I started my, to take my search beyond Southeast Asia. Um, long story short, after 16 countries and later, I arrived in your country. I arrived in Heidelberg. In Heidelberg, okay. And Heidelberg University Hospital is where Zai started his treatment. So it's also the oldest university in Germany in 14th century, 1376. Right, yes. And uh, they were also the first in uh, Germany to have begun the treatment for, if you remember 40, 50 years ago, there was the medicine countergun. In German, it's called countergun, or it's the English name for the medicine is thalidomide. So thalidomide okay. babies. All right. So okay. when the pregnant mothers, after taking that morning sickness pill, had caused a lot of malformation. And yes, Heidelberg yes, University yes, yes. I remember was, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. was the first one in the world that started the treatment of malformation, child malformation. And um, uh, Klaus Kastens eventually became a very dear family friend. Um, one of the leading spinal orthopedic surgeons in the world. And it was, it was I wrote a book that uh, it's called Walking Without Legs. Okay. And it documents the first three years or 1,000 days of me and my son's life together. Amazing. So it's about yeah. a little bit about the journey, about how we yeah. got to places to place and how the disappointments after disappointments about about all the doctors in the world telling me that this child will probably be okay in a wheelchair, but will probably not stand and walk. Professor Carstens tells me that, yes, he is 80% confident that he could make this, stand, this child stand and walk. Amazing, yeah. So I said 80%, and I've never heard anybody giving as high a percentage of success as that. And I said, Doc, Prof, have you done it before? And he says, no. Yet, you say you're 80% confident, so can you prove yourself? And he says, Walter, come, I will show you some of my work. So I saw some of his work, and I said, wow, if such treatment with you, how long will this treatment have to be? Mm -hmm. And he says, probably about 16 years. So I said, 16 years. I <laughs> said, hold it. My mind cannot think 16 years. How about 60 months? I need, I, I said, uh, what I will be asking you is going to be very, very challenging because you said you've never done this before, but I would need almost for you to look into your crystal ball and tell me that in the next 60 months, how many treatments, one, how many treatments will I have to come to you for? Two, every treatment that I come, what are you going to be doing? Three, why will you be doing what you say you will be doing? Four, 
how long is each treatment going to take? And five, how much is it going to cost me? I said, this is not a very fair question because you've never done it before, but please understand that I've searched the world literally. And please understand that, you know, I still have two kids at home. That's only one and three years old. And um, if I were to, to start treatment with you, I will have to uproot the family and do a lot of, you know, there's going to be a lot of logistical challenges. Yes, yes, yeah. So he said, um, okay, give me two weeks. Klaus actually wrote me back two weeks later of the treatment plan, a five-year treatment plan. And I was, um, I was speechless. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was telling me that you have to be back for seven times and each time this is what I'm going to do and this is why I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Um, this is how long it's going to take and this is how much it's going to cost. Assuming there is no complication. And I said, fair enough, because if there's complication, the sky is the limit. And I said, wow, I need to discuss about this with my wife. And um, let me get back to you. So March 12, 2008, we arrived. My wife and Zai and I, we arrived at Heidelberg University. Very shortly after, just the first week or so, seeing how these group of German prosthesis, surgeons, physical therapists, and this group of health givers, just a week into seeing how they work, I was speechless. I was, my mind was blown away. And I said to myself, wow, what was exciting for me was the multidisciplinary approach. What was exciting to me was the, was the focus on the problem. What was interesting to me was all the professionals and specialists were, were arguing about how to, about the treatment plan for almost three days before okay. they even started doing anything. And that was very precious for me because in most part of the world, the doctor calls the shot and the rest listen. Here, it wasn't because uh, everyone had their say and uh, they were very awesome. strong and they were very adamant. And uh, that was very unusual for me because here only the professors talk. They don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> so after when I see what they were doing, I went to the president of the university and I said, sir, you know what you have here could potentially change the lives of, by which time I have already done my research and this have discovered that in Southeast Asia, children with movement disability, there are a total of 10 million of them. Wow. 10 million. Wow amongst all the different types of child disability, blindness, deafness, learning disorder, etc., etc. but movement disability is by far the largest. And if Heidelberg has got the ability to do what I then thought that they could do, I said, you know, what you have here could change 10 million families, could change the world. And Professor Sivet at that time said, yeah, Mr. Lee, what, what do you want? And I said, I would, I would like to have what you have here to be available in my part of the world. He shrugged his shoulders and he says, take it. And I said, no, take it. A <laughs> uh, lot of it is in my book, but basically um, we sort of orchestrated for the visit of our princess, our Thai princess to visit Heidelberg University. Heidelberg University or the city or the town of Heidelberg is actually the birthplace of Her Royal Highness's uncle, King Rama VIII. Okay. King Rama VIII, her father was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. but King Rama VIII was born in Heidelberg. Maybe there is some kind of a, a, a intervention from heaven or something like that, I don't know, but uh, 
after touring the facility and then she actually said that, you know, this is what we should have in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Now, when she came back, you know, a lot of uh, different units in the government sector started getting in touch and um, we kicked off our foundation. Fantastic. And, uh, so Fantastic. far, yeah. I think with the grace of Her Royal Highness and a lot of very spontaneous participation from a lot of different sectors, I think we have now collectively trained over 600 Thai doctors, therapists, prosthesis authorities in various fields like in Germany. Thailand today is the only country offering a bachelor degree in prosthetics and orthotics. Wow. We have had over 30,000 children with movement disabilities in Thailand that has that is going through or have gone through this German inspired technology and treatment methodology. Our plan is to make Thailand the center of excellence so that whatever that we have brought in and exchanged and have learned and grown with our German counterparts will have Thailand as a springboard to Southeast Asia. So it will be made available to all the children. Our vision, we have four objectives. Objective number, objective number one is for these children towards independent living. So meaning we don't subscribe a lot to pure charity. Pure charity is like giving someone a fish. We want to teach them to be all fishermen so they could eat not Makes just sense. the meat, yeah. but feed themselves for a lifetime. Independent living is a state where they, you know, there will be no barrier, physical, mental, or spiritual barriers in their lives. So that, to us, is independent living. It's for the children towards that direction. So the modus operandi is a lot of inspiring, empowering, and enabling. Now, in order to do that, we have to work on the parents because, unfortunately, most of the parents of these kinds of children are either in a state of self-denial or have given up. And we believe, if the parents believe that the child can, and they will. And with that, we have created a tagline of accepting reality, but not defeat. Fantastic. And we have done a lot of work in that area to empower these parents. Thirdly, is to bridge the gap, which we with the embassy here, with the German, with our German counterpart here, and that's how we have been able to have all this German know knowledge and know how be into this part of the world. And ultimately, the fa- the fourth objective is to, it's for social awareness. So for people to to see and accept these children as peers rather than as differently abled rather than disabled. So, so it's a it's a multi prong approach that we are using right now. Mm-hmm. We are also harnessing. I think two big areas that we are harnessing is we are harnessing technology and we are harnessing the youth power. How to get young people to be involved in what we're doing? Exactly, that would be But, my question. How do you get people involved? Oh yeah, we we, yeah. we have um, first if we say how to get technology, we. We look at this as a, as a linear problem because it's a linear problem is every year there is about 0.2% of all childbirth will have movement disability. In order to solve a linear problem, we would then require an exponential solution. But disruptive technology is exponentiality and we very actively harness exponential technology like big data, like artificial intelligence, like 
3D printing, like virtual reality to a platform or as an empowering mechanism to push as a strategy to achieve our objectives. So that's, that's on the technology part. For the youth power, because I've been hosting my own television program for 20 over years and my board, there is also my vice president is also a very famous um, movie star on Thai TV. And we have been very actively courting the media and hence a lot of our activities are star started activities. I don't like the word narcissism, but... <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but, but everybody, everybody likes to be on, you know, there's a lot of Wi-Fi and selfie and whatever going on. So a lot of activities, we always get a lot of the beautiful mirrors and models and whatever. And this always becomes a, 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 an, an attraction for young people to get involved. When, when you talk about social work, yes, people are, are interested, but they are like, yeah, you know, but, you know, old people, disabled people, yeah, but, you know, I think I got something on this weekend. But when, when, when we are capable of bringing like, oh, if you come and you're going to be taking selfie and wifi with good looking people, then it attracts good looking, more good looking people. So that's how we've been doing it. And so our activity like Climb to Change Your Life, for example, you know, every time we run an activity like that, you know, this is fun. We have done this now like 14, 15 times and we can see this being viralized around the world. And uh, Japan has bought into our activity. Malaysia has bought into our activity. We have done it in Africa and Tanzania. A few more countries. I think we have six countries coming on board next year. So wow. Wow. Congratulations. Ready. Well done. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Next spring, we'll be doing one with the, with, the, with, the, with the Chinese government on the Great Wall of China. Wow. Okay. That sounds amazing. Wow. Really great. And you went on a lot of adventures with Zai, right? You went to Tanzania to climb up with Kilimanjaro. Is that right? Yeah, we did, uh, we did uh, Kinabalu together in 2012. Uh, that okay. was very inspiring. And then 2015, we did Kilimanjaro together. Awesome. the youngest in the world to do that. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Like, Great story. And are you also running your restaurants at the same time? Nah, my foundation takes up a big part of my time. I Absolutely, yeah. 30% yeah. of my time. But my, um, my business is mainly on wasabi mm-hmm. because uh, Japanese is one of the five fastest growing ethnic cuisines in the world. And with the boom of Japanese cuisines around in the world, the understanding of wasabi is also, it's also growing. But 95% of all wasabi consumed in the market contains zero wasabi. I read this. Yeah, yeah. So we are like the mythbuster. We are always doing something <laughs> that we're doing. So, yeah. so we are the guys that is playing with real wasabi. And then we have, uh, we have our products are sold in now 20 countries-ish. So that's the main thrust of my business. I, uh, we also have a culinary school. Where is the that? Top, the V School, yeah. People like everyone the, who's listening, um, where can we find your school if people want to join? Type in the V School. Okay. Type in the V School. We are in Latpao. We are actually our whole area here that uh, we are in, in the Latpao area, we have, we coin ourselves the Institute of Life. Okay. So the mantra is great foods, good life. So a good life is a life of giving, sharing, growing, and learning. Here, within the same compound, we have our commercial unit, which is our, our wasabi business, our seafood business. We have also our foundation. So mm-hmm. that is the social aspect. And 250 meters from where we are is also our urban farm. We started an urban farm about two and a half 
uh, sorry, about two years ago. Yeah. It's a nice little piece of farm that uh, embraces the philosophy and the teachings of our late King Rama the Ninth. Amazing. That little piece of land, we try to expound and teach on the concept of eating food as medicine is better than eating medicine as food. And uh, in the same piece of land, we talk about total self-sufficiency. Yeah. Where we collect water and use the rainwater to farm the fish and agricultural products that we grow. So we are short of generating our own electricity. Otherwise, we will be totally self-sufficient. Fantastic. So, so the students that come here, they get to see how the, the ingredients are coming for us. Because we also have on our farm totally, totally 100% organic chicken. So growing, giving out organic eggs, free range also. And they get to pick their produce. And they, in the same time, that's why it's called a farm school. Mm-hmm. It's not only a farm, but it's also a school. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the concept of wolfing? Yes, I am. You're offering wolfing. That's amazing. We will be okay. in a month okay. and a half. We will be an urban wolfing center. And, wow, that's uh, interesting. Okay. That's great for travelers to come around, to experience this, to see that, to stay there. Right. Okay. So amazing. It will be, yeah. it will be, our wolfing will be a little bit different because... We also, there's going to be a lot of social issues that we will be addressing. Mm-hmm. So 50% of the wolfers' time will be in the farm. 30%, mm-hmm. I would like to show and explain to them how from farm to market. So they will have to understand and learn and see and witness and touch about the commercial aspect of the, of the agricultural products that they grow. And they will have 10% of the time that they, they will spend with the school. Then the last 10%, they will be involved in our foundation. Because we also believe that the poverty, a lot of it, the root of all poverty is because of ignorance, if you may. Mm-hmm. Um, lack of education. The farmers in our part of the world is not that well off like the farmers in the Western civilized countries. So a lot of times it's because they are not very ignorant and they don't understand the, how the mechanics of the market work. And that's what we would like to share and teach them also. So it's like farm to market. They get a concept. They get the feel. So it's not just farm, farm per se. And this whole, and we are creating this also as a platform for children. As more as we spend time in the supermarket, I'm I'm getting worrying about the food that we eat in the supermarket because a lot of times it is just loaded with a lot of additives and antibiotics and steroids and stuff like that. And we just want to show the people that money we cannot eat, mm-hmm. but with a little of land that you have, you can do miracles with it. And we just like right. to show people that, right. you know, we have in, our, in this neighborhood here, we have about 120 chickens and our chicken, our chicken coop don't smell mm-hmm. because we use effective microorganism. So it's EM technology using bacteria. We do decomposting and stuff like that. So it's totally self-sufficient. Amazing. Amazing. You're truly an amazing person. We almost have to wrap up the interview now. It's really nice talking to you. One last question I'm always asking is for people who would like to start out with their own business, like students, what one advice would you give them? Hey, I want to start my own business. I want to start my own thing. What is the one thing you would suggest new entrepreneur? I think like anything else, I wouldn't dare to advise. <laughs> but entrepreneurship is a mindset. Okay. More than anything else. So, so if you're doing it, if, if somebody is doing it for the sake of money, which most people are, then I don't think it will be that rewarding. 
totally um, makes sense. Entrepreneurship yeah. is a, it's a mindset of being in charge of your own life, mm-hmm. taking charge of your own life. In order for, for, I share with my students, there's only one way to success, to succeed. It is through failing. So get good at failing, get used to failing. Get good at right. failing, get used yeah. to the concept of failing, get used, get used to it, get comfortable with it. Because only with that, then, well, Zai will always say that, you know, feel fast, feel different, feel forward. Nice. So don't feel nice. again, yeah. Great. but, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, get used to the concept of getting out of your comfort zone, get used to the concept of failing and then coming up again and then rebounding. And, and if someone can get used to that concept and like if you fall down and you don't mind trying again, so you don't begin, you're used to falling down and getting up again, then eventually you'll get there. So, so the concept is, the, I think the whole concept that I, I, I remind myself all the time is, it's, um, so get used to it and get good at it. That's and then, and then, such, and then yeah. the, the rewards will come later. The rewards Natural. will come later. Be patient. Be patient. Yes, definitely. Well, one more time, Walter, thank you so much for your time today. You gave a lot of value. Thank you so much. We'll stay in touch. Bye. Yeah. Cheers. Have a great day. Ciao. Bye. Danke Ciao. Schön. Tschüss. Ciao. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on every major platform, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Also, head over to our Facebook group, Disrupting Asia, and engage with other entrepreneurs. Keep it crushing and I see you on the next episode.